0: From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we're looking back through technology history to better understand the trends we see today. My name is Stephen Hackett. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Quinn Nelson. Stephen, how are you doing? Happy I Friday. I am. I'm good. We were talking beforehand. It's uh, it's summertime here in Tennessee. Today is uh, it's hot
1: outside. It's here. There you go. Summer. Summer is a uh, summer is an eye. I guess they say right. Is that what they say? Uh, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> That's what they say here. I don't know what y'all do back there. but mm-hmm, uh, There yeah. it is. <laughs> uh, today we have an interesting one, don't we?
0: We do. We're uh, talking about the Apple Lisa, which is a computer that for a long time I have thought deserves way more credit than it gets. And uh, so today I'm here to write that wrong. Mm. You know, maybe make some friends along the way with some Lisa fans. Yeah, uh, they're they're out there, surely. Probably. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we should say off the bat, this is not something that either one of us could just like run out on
1: eBay and buy. Uh, (laughs) One wishes. One wishes.
0: The only complete (laughs) one on eBay right now is $4,500. So...
1: Hey, you know what? That's half off as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, We'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) So we're gonna start
0: back in the 1970s. So Quinn, grow a mustache, buy some plaid. Oh, you already have those things.
1: I well, Quinn, actually, be yourself. Yes, <laughs> yes. it's 1977. Th- the plaid is in the closet because it's the summer now. But in the winter, sure, sure. Roll up in your van, mm.
0: and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about computers. So in 1977. Apple shipped really what was their first hit, the Apple II personal computer. Right. That'll be followed up with the Apple II Plus and the Apple IIe a few years later. In here, we also have the Apple III. Uh, By the way, I don't think I told you I bought an Apple III. You did. I did. So I found it's the most... Busted Apple Three you've ever seen. There's like a hole in the case, and it. I don't. I'm afraid to turn it on. I need to take. I need to really look through it. But uh, it was way cheaper than anything I've ever seen, so I jumped on it. Anyways, Mm. than anything you've ever seen. What did you pay for it? (laughs) It was a. It was a couple hundred bucks, which for an Apple Three is that's not too bad. nothing. Yeah, that's great. It looks like it fell off a truck, but it's it's fine. It needs some love. So okay. So go listen to Flashback Episode Nine if you're unfamiliar with the. Tragedy that is the Apple III, uh, but this is kind of where the Lisa comes in.
1: Yeah, right. Well, I don't know that it was quite as tragic, so that's good. But but before we get to the Lisa, we need to talk about the environment of Apple at the time. The Apple II was really successful, but it, it was kind of quickly aging itself. I say that, but you know the market was was. Still pretty uh, complacent with command line driven interfaces. There were really no machines with a with a GUI, but the people at Apple were obviously obsessed at what the next thing was going to be. Apple II couldn't last forever. And so they started this new project to build the next great computer out of Cupertino, California. This machine, it would feature a thing called a mouse, a graphical user interface, and basically, uh, a bunch of other ideas that Steve Jobs and others had seen at Xerox Park. <laughs> so, wait, hang on. I thought we were talking about the Lisa, not the Macintosh. That Yeah, see? There you go. It's weird. Because the Lisa is the mostly forgotten precursor to the Macintosh. And, and you'll forget that because, well, it, it didn't come too far before. <laughs> <laughs> no. Precursor is, is generous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's an important
0: computer. So here we are. 1978 is when development started, and it was kind of decided that, okay, the Apple II great for schools and small business and maybe some, some home use, mm-hmm. but Apple decided it needed an office management system, something that you could go into a medium to even large company and sell a bunch of these. Uh, this computer would be capable and really designed – to meet the unique needs of people working in big offices. And the Apple II, just as good as it was,
1: it's not really the market that it addressed. Right. So Steve Jobs, he was joined by about 18 employees or so. And this new group that was working on this new replacement for the Apple II would be known as the Personal Office Systems Team. That's a sexy name, isn't it?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't. I'm really amped
1: about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the computer that they started to work on was a big step forward for the Apple II. At the heart of the new system was the Motorola 6800 processor, or 68000 processor? Yeah. How do you even say that? I'm not old S- enough 68000 or 68K, if you're cool. Well, this processor ran at 5 megahertz, which was a lot faster Ooh. than the 1 megahertz uh, MOS Technologies 6502 that was found in the Apple II at the time. So very, very comparably powerful. And the new machine was to be named LISA, which stood for... Are you ready for this? Yes. Local Integrated Software Architecture definitely wasn't a backronym named after Steve Jobs' daughter. Mm. That that was specifically mm. what it was supposed to be called, and it just happened to be the same name, right? Mm-hmm.
0: There's a lot of debate about mm. that. Local Integrated mm. Software Architecture means literally nothing. Oh, totally. Right. That's like if you if you visit like a SaaS company's website, and that, that's the text on the top of the webpage. I'm just going to close the tab. <laughs> this machine did that's follow... Right. Uh, a, a, like a pretty different recipe than the Apple II. So it was an all-in-one where the Apple II wasn't, right? The Apple II, the keyboard and computer were together, which was very of the time. Uh, The right-hand side of the machine housed two five-and-a-quarter floppy drives. These were dubbed Twiggy drives. Uh, The actual name is Fileware, but these were super weird and not very reliable. They used what looked like standard disks, but these... 871 kilobyte floppies actually weren't compatible with anything else, which is really kind of the worst thing, right? They look like they're compatible. But they're not. But they're not. Sounds
1: like USB-C.
0: Hey. hey. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding,
1: USB-C fans.
0: So they were really unreliable, and Apple really kind of seemed unable to fix them. But as we get into later models, you'll see that the Twiggy uh, died a pretty quick
1: death. Mm. Yikes. Okay. So you've got two of those, right? Mm-hmm. That's good. All right. And then left of the drives, you've got an integrated 12 inch monochrome screen. Now this is an odd screen. It runs at a resolution of 720 by 364. And the reason why it runs at that resolution is that, well, instead of the pixels being square, they were, get this, rectangular
0: why now
1: why on earth would they do this (laughs) well this was done so that the machine could show 80 columns of text which was the standard for the time yeah even so the team kind of fought for square dots obviously for better usability in graphics applications (laughs) because items look better with square pixels but in the end management said no there's no time to rework things and so the lisa shipped with weird horizontal pixels And uh, this decision would come back to be a problem later, but we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here.
0: There's a reason that computers don't use (laughs) pixels like this. (laughs) For this machine, uh, because, again, think about the era. Other than, like, CPM and then later MS-DOS, a lot of computers came with their own discrete software. Uh, Right. So here we had Lisa OS and... uh, It was really built from the ground up. Uh, And we call it Lisa OS today. It really didn't have its own brand, right? It was just like what the computer did. Right. But if you think about 1978, starting on this, it has some really impressive features, uh, including protected memory, something that the Mac wouldn't have until 2001. They did that by going over to Sun and saying, hey, can we have part of your workstation hardware? And Sun said yes, and so the uh, the Lisa was sort of this weird hybrid of Apple and Sun technology. Really far under the under the hood, uh, it yeah. also came with support for hard drives just from day one. Something the Macintosh didn't at first, and so from a technical
1: perspective, for the time, is pretty forward thinking. Yeah, really impressive OS, but it, it all kind of played a backseat when compared to the applications that came on the Lisa. The Lisa was home to six integrated software titles, including a spreadsheet application, a word processor, a tool for creating graphics with your uh, rectangular pixels, <laughs> a project management tool, and a file manager. And these applications were designed to kind of let you move fluidly between them, focusing on tasks rather than on specific applications. And it was called iWork. No, no, wait, no, no. it the, was called the... OpenDoc. No, no. <laughs>
0: it was no, called the-, the new Google Docs. No, that's not mm. it either. This idea just keeps coming back every five to 10 years. It really
1: does. Someone's like, hey, what if we had applications, but you could just move between them really easy. Yeah. So I guess uh, the Lisa office system, as it was known, was kind of the OG. And it was eventually, because Lisa office system doesn't sound cool, it was renamed 7-7. In reference to the seven supplied application programs, you had Lisa Write, Lisa Calc, Lisa Draw, Lisa Graph, Lisa Project, Lisa List, that's my favorite, and Lisa Terminal. Consistent naming. Yeah. Gotta give them that. Right. Uh,
0: like we had said, this computer and these applications have been designed to meet the needs of office workers. We have a, a video in the show notes, like go take some time to watch this. It is the most nineteen eighties demo you've ever seen. <laughs> And simultaneously quite impressive.
1: It is. There's some stuff that seems so dumb, but some stuff that you're like, wait a minute, that's brilliant.
0: The driving force for the UI was the mouse. This was another Xerox PARC discovery. Obviously. Uh, Apple had been playing with the technology for several years before the Lisa shipped. But for many users, especially business users, although I guess really basically everybody, this was the first computer that they'd ever used, let alone one with a mouse. And so Mm. if you look through the training and even that video, there's an emphasis on the mouse and the pull down menu system and the GUI because this just wasn't the way these systems really worked at the time.
1: In theory, this is a really powerful machine. It's running an OS with a really clever design applications that all work simultaneously together it's bound to be successful right we'll get to that after this
0: break this episode of flashback is brought to you by command line heroes it's a podcast that tells the epic true tales of developers programmers hackers geeks and open source rebels who have revolutionized the technology landscape season seven of command line heroes is out now it's exploring the pivotal year of 1995 it was the start of the dot com boom, but a lot of things had to come together for the internet to succeed. For instance, DNS, so I can type in relay.fm and it points to our server and gets you there. That wasn't a thing, that had to be invented. And 1995, a critical year for that adoption, because before that, you would have to call somebody and say, Hey, where does this server live? It was, it was madness. Uh, it was also really the year that web design became a career. We I mean, were talking in this episode about the Lisa and its, and its graphical user interface. Well, the web was really simple and tech space at the beginning too, but as graphics became uh, more useful and more powerful and connections got better, web design became a career. So uh, I've really enjoyed this season of Command Line Heroes. It's out every other week and I have not missed an episode. So, search for Command Line Heroes anywhere you listen to podcasts. And of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Command Line Heroes for their support of Flashback and Relay FM.
1: Thank you, Command Line Heroes. Okay. So, this was a big product for Apple. Yeah, it was heavy. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. And not just from a weight point. But also an achievement point. I mean, technically, it was a really impressive piece of hardware. But more importantly than being an impressive feat of engineering, it was important from a financial standpoint. Apple had spent a reported $50 million on the Lisa's development. And this is in, you know, 1980s money. That's That's a a lot lot of money. money. (laughs) Yeah, with over 90 people participating in the design of the computer, and then that's not including the many more people that were involved in sales and marketing the machine at launch.
0: You really think about it, Apple was a one-product company with the Apple II line. Yeah, that's true. There was a life cycle to computers in the 70s and 80s, and even though we know now the Apple II would last way longer than anyone expected... (laughs) Apple yeah. really had to be looking for what is our next computer going to be, and so a, a lot of a lot of attention, a lot of money was spent on the Lisa program. High stakes. Well, the good news is the launch went perfect, right? Well, it was. Uh, there was some sticker sticker shock with this. Uh, the Lisa started at a uh, nine thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars. That's about twenty six <laughs> grand today. <laughs> Yikes. If you're going to sell 100 of these to like a, a Fortune 500 company, it's a lot of money. Right. Now, computers were more expensive than they are today, but not that much more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> that Mac Pro seems like a bargain, huh? I know. The Lisa didn't even come with wheels. <laughs> well, neither does the Mac Pro. <laughs> well, if you, if you, you know,
1: it's an option at least. Well, yeah, sure, sure, an option. I guess there was no option wheels for the Lisa. So, you know. So it sucks. Um, Yeah, price was a big problem. Uh, But furthermore, there was competition. The IBM PC was much cheaper. It had better enterprise support. And they were kind of quickly becoming the industry standard. The IBM PC had also entered the home computer market pretty well. Uh, not until kind of the the later IBM PCs, but it, but you know even in the early eighties in nineteen eighty one they launched their first consumer version. And so it was a computer that people were more familiar with, perhaps that they might have had at home. And then it ran BASIC, which you know, for people that had been using computers for, for a while was it was more familiar to them, less kind of uh, abstract than this brand new user interface with a GUI and this weird thing called a mouse and uh, all this other stuff. That's just one problem, because that assumes that the Lisa, you know, was perfect.
0: Yeah, you had the, the floppy issue that we talked about, not only the weird incompatibility, but also just the reliability of the drives. Mm-hmm. But there were also issues with performance. Even though it was way faster than the Apple II, it was still a lot of GUI to move around, and users reported the interface, though unlike anything they'd ever seen, uh, slow. And compared to a machine that's just running a command line and and you know using WordStar in an eighty column mode, it felt slow.
1: Yeah. Well, and and when you're in a business environment where kind of time is money, that's a problem yeah right these super expensive computers that cost way more than everything else and, and they're slower that's, that's a bad combo issue. right well then there's another problem right this is 1983 <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which if you'll recall it's just one year before the launch of the macintosh and we'll kind of get to why these two computers uh maybe stepped over one another yeah um but the Macintosh was significantly less expensive, and sure, it was less powerful, but not that much less powerful compared to the price. And the Macintosh, I mean, it didn't have the strongest of launches either, but compared to the Lisa, it was a smashing success. It had pretty good software support, um, which the Lisa. We'll talk about was needed for, (laughs) and uh, well, it was just a significantly more robust machine with much better marketing, which maybe helped Apple's messaging in that regard.
0: Yeah, and the relationship between the two machines is is definitely fascinating. Jobs worked on the Lisa, but then moved over to the Macintosh. And depending on what you read and when it was written, he was sort of hell bent on destroying the Lisa for various reasons. (laughs) There's a lot of internal mess at Apple at this time. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, so. The Lisa comes out in early 83. In January 84, you have the Macintosh introduction. Steve Jobs pulls it out of a bag. The computer can talk. It's adorable. But Apple also updated uh, and released the Lisa 2 at the same time. And Mm. you may think, hey, version 2 must be huge and evolutionary. That's big. Yeah. Uh, It was really a revision. Oh. uh, And one with certain changes that may not have been considered by all to be actual upgrades
1: so so what did the lisa 2 bring first of all it brought a significantly lower price tag <laughs> that's good they dro- yeah they dropped it from ten thousand dollars as a starting price point to just three thousand four hundred ninety five how how do you <laughs> well how do you knock two-thirds <laughs> off the cost as you as you mentioned previously uh it came with some pretty substantial downgrades if you could call them that, I mean, they were reliability improvements, but downgrades overall. So first off, the cool you know, dual Twiggy drives we talked about earlier with those super large five and a quarter floppies that were completely proprietary and not very reliable, well, those got the X. And Apple just moved to a single floppy slot, which supported Sony's lower capacity 400K micro floppies. So uh, kind of more of a standard. Uh, it wasn't something they had developed in-house and there was just one of them. Drives were really expensive. So that helped kind of the cost significantly. Furthermore, the original Lisa had a starting memory spec of one megabyte, and it was expandable up to two megabytes. But with the Lisa 2, it dropped that, it halved that down to a 512K starting price point for or 512K option uh, for the starting price point, which, you know, half the memory. Memory's expensive. That's going to help. Probably didn't do much in terms of the performance issues. Yeah. And then the last thing is, and this is another fairly substantial one, the Lisa 2, at least in its base model, didn't ship with a hard disk, um, which the Lisa 1 certainly did. Hard drives were incredibly expensive. And so all of these kind of weight and cost reductions – helped the price point become a little more accessible. But it also kind of removes the Lisa's main selling point, which is that it's a substantially more powerful computer than the Macintosh. And without a hard drive and all this stuff, it is actually kind of closer to the the Macintosh in, in spec and all that stuff. But um, it, that wasn't to say that you couldn't upgrade the machine, right? I mean, it was still powerful, or could be. Y- yeah, you could
0: uh, throw on a external hard drive called the Profile. It sat on mm. top. Uh, okay. Which is kind of funny looking when you look at pictures of this thing. It's got like this big hat on it that has a hard drive. Yeah. You could order it with an internal hard drive. And we're talking like five megabytes, 10 megabytes. I think the, the max you could do, you could link seven 10 megabyte ones together. Oh. For the cost wow. of, I assume,
1: a $100,000. Yeah. De- <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean... Who could ever possibly fill up seventy megs of storage, anyway? So yeah, you know.
0: yeah. I'm looking down at my recorder. I have 121
1: megabytes of audio <laughs> so far, just in this recording. <laughs> yep, I'm at the at the same. 23 minutes in, 121 megs. Wow, we would need so many profiles. Yeah, and it had some some parallel port cards,
0: and it had an internal expansion. Like you could do some things with the Lisa 2, mm-hmm. but very quickly you would be you know, ratcheting the price up. Say that you you wanted to to use that external drive, the profile drive, in lieu of an okay. internal hard drive, which, by the way, was called oh. widget. So widget is the internal oh. drive. Profile
1: okay. is the external drive. Hmm. I don't know why they named them different things. Yeah, based on what I was able to find, the, the internal drive, the widget drive, if you were to have opted for that, used a voice coil uh, instead of a more... You know, kind of traditional stepper motor. Okay. That was found in most hard drives. Um, there were theoretical improvements to this. Um, noise was one of them. Uh, tracking speed was one of them. Uh, however, Apple's widget drive was not only this newer voice coil technology, but it also had a proprietary controller instead of the more standardized kind of Seagate stepper motor style drive. And um, as one might expect, unfortunately, the widget drive had pretty extraordinary reliability problems to the point where most Lisas that had internal drives have not lived uh, very well. That's no good. (laughs) Whereas you can still buy profiles on eBay and they work great. They're really loud and they draw tons of power from your wall, but they work. So that's good. Now, let's talk about if you were one of the poor suckers that purchased just one year prior the original Lisa for $10,000.
0: Yeah, what happened to all those people?
1: (laughs) Well, there probably weren't that many, which is why Apple did the following. It was like a few thousand.
0: (laughs) It was not good.
1: Good job, Apple. They upgraded all Lisa uh, original Lisa customers to Lisa to uh, to the Lisa two five megabyte option free of charge, if that's what they wanted, uh, and that involved obviously sending your computer back. The front fascia was replaced, and they removed the Twiggy drives, put in a standard Sony drive, and they updated the boot ROM and the IO ROM. And here's the last kind of little fun fact about the Lisa 2. The new faceplate that needed to fit onto the machine, because, again, there were no longer two drives, uh, it was the first item from Apple that incorporated this new Snow White design language. And so it has these long horizontal lines across the top of the display or the top of the kind of entire computer that kind of slowly fade out. And then there is the famous inlaid Apple logo, that's just inset and it's bubbled and very pretty. And can I just say, hot dang, you know, the original Lisa is not a looker at all, but the Lisa 2 is still, I think, a pretty attractive looking computer. An old one, but that's a pretty machine. Yeah, I love the Snow White design language.
0: I think it looks fantastic. If you look through its Wikipedia page, it'll be in the show notes. Apple applied it to a bunch of different looking computers and Mm – it looks good in all of them. I mean, it's really yeah. a very impressively done design. Bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> this is like a, the, uh, the, uh, a beige full of lines iMac coming out this fall.
1: Yeah. Ooh, iMac Pro with lines for air for the tiny little fans, an inlaid colored Apple logo. Sign Ooh. me up. I'd buy one of those in a heartbeat. Sign me up. <laughs> That would be a seller if it was in, like, an iMac Pro or something like that because only, you know, nerds are buying that. So make it an option, Apple. Come on. Be fun. I want the next Mac Pro to have a key, you know, to to lock people out of it, just like the (laughs) old days.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. All right. uh, Real quick, before we get into the the final act of the Apple Lisa, I want to tell you about another podcast here on Relay FM. That is Roboism. It's a show by our friends Alex Cox and Kathy Campbell. They explore topics like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and digital assistance, and how these things affect us and our culture. Explore the humanity behind the bots that are quickly becoming a part of our everyday life. You can find it on the web at relay.fm roboism or search roboism wherever you get your podcasts. So you may have worked out by now that Lisa was not A big success. We're talking sales numbers in the thousands, not the hundreds of thousands. It was, like we said, just too expensive. It had an almost total lack of third-party software, and it really was a computer that it, it just didn't really improve over time like a lot of others could because they had flourishing software ecosystems. In comparison, the Apple II, CPM machines, various DAW systems, had a wide range of software available to them. And like you said, the Macintosh wasn't actually a huge hit out of the gate either, but it was right. much cheaper and more mm-hmm. attractive to buyers. Hmm. Ironically, and I, I love this, early Macintosh software development had to be done on Elisa, <laughs> but that wasn't going to be enough to save the computer either. Yeah. I, I dug through my archives and found a bit from Byte Magazine from
1: February 1984. This is fantastic, by the way. Oh, man.
0: Yeah, so this is... Uh, I pulled this out because it really compares the Macintosh to the Lisa. So this is one month after the Macintosh is announced and the Lisa 2 is announced. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit of this. The Macintosh computer is built on three cornerstone ideas. Second-generation Lisa technology, reliability and low cost through simplicity and maximum synergy between hardware and software. Although the Macintosh costs approximately one-third of the price of a Lisa, the Mac has much more than one-third of the Lisa's power. The idea of reliability through simplicity not only makes the Macintosh possible at a relatively low price, but also produces a machine that has a reliability normally associated with much simpler computers. The Lisa was important because it was the first commercial product to use the mouse window desktop environment. The Macintosh... This is the killer. The Macintosh is equally important because it makes the same environment very affordable. It is also important because it is a second-generation design that in several areas improves on the original. Uh, that's that's pretty brutal.
1: That is, but accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and so... One might think, well, what's next for the Lisa? Not much. Uh, One year after the Macintosh launched, and so in January 1985, Apple unveils a new computer, the Macintosh XL, that is to sit above the Macintosh 512K that had gone on sale just the prior fall of 1984. The two systems had the same amount of RAM out of the box, but the Macintosh XL could be upgraded to two megabytes of memory, even if its CPU did run a little bit slower than that smaller machine. Now you might be thinking, slower, why? Isn't this the the big computer? Isn't this the important one and it's brand new? Well, there's something a little funny about this computer. It's actually just a Lisa. <laughs> yeah. It's a Lisa 2 with a 10 megabyte hard drive that had been modified to run Macintosh software. Oh, it's so and sad. And this was, uh, yeah, this was something that was made possible through software named MacWorks XL, which allowed for 64K Macintosh ROM emulation. The original Rosetta. <laughs> <laughs> kind and, of. And, uh, uh, the, if Rosetta lets origin- <laughs> you run com- software from a totally different
0: computer. <laughs> yeah. Right,
1: right. Poor Lisa. It's pretty savage. Yeah,
0: not a great look. I think Apple viewed this as, "Hey, we want to expand the Mac line. We have a bunch of this hardware laying around. <laughs> let's just uh, let's put a new sticker on it. Let's just do that." MacWorks XL, man, it, it wasn't great at the beginning. For mm-hmm. instance, it didn't support hard drives, even though the Mac XL could and came with the hard drive. Yikes! But it, it got better over time. <laughs> what should hope. But remember those rectangular pixels we mentioned earlier? I do. Uh, This meant that the effective resolution of the Mac XL was 720 by 364. And the Macintosh was not designed for that resolution, nor was it designed for rectangular pixels. Right. There was actually an upgrade program that, depending on what you read, Apple offered, but maybe it was put together by a third party, like a partner, uh, there's mm. also ways you can do it now if you have one of these, and it would upgrade the resolution to 608 by 431, uh, but you couldn't get around those limitations unless you just straight up replaced the screen. And mm. if you didn't replace the screen, the computer looked like a Lisa, but it ran stretched out Macintosh software. Gorgeous. <laughs>
1: Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, as you can guess, this didn't help out the uh, the Lisa platform too much. Apple was selling a Lisa designed to run macOS with Macintosh branding. And uh, well, it ran macOS off a floppy disk, which wasn't exactly a vote of confidence that the few Lisa fans had kind of been looking for. Uh, Sadly for them, the Macintosh XL tripled the sales of the original Lisa. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But as you mentioned earlier, I mean, that's a pretty low bar. We're estimating, and it's been estimated that the total number of sales were in just, you know, the low few thousands. So not great. And, and that was for the, the computer's entire run. And it got to the point where CEO John Scully stated that even though the demand had increased for the Macintosh XL, restarting manufacturing to meet that demand would not be cost effective.
0: Yeah, it's a bad sign when your platform or your product becomes like a zombie host for someone else's software.
1: <laughs> and it performs better. And it performs yeah. better.
0: So they ended up pulling the plug on the Mac XL after about three months, and the Lisa itself, while it hadn't been on sale, was officially canceled a few months later. Uh, All this was in the spring of 85. The next year, in 86, Apple offered customers the chance to trade in their Lisa or XL for $2,600 off a new Mac Plus and a hard disk 20 system So mm-hmm. that is one reason it's hard to find these today because a lot of people did'
1: We're like, see ya. take Apple up on that Well then what did Apple do with all the ones they had left over?
0: Well uh, in 1989 Apple dumped some 2700 hardware
1: units in a landfill in Utah. So have you found those? Well I've been looking okay very hard for the last uh, you know decade or so. Uh, I do believe they are very underground. Yeah. Uh, now I'm no expert, but that's my belief. It, they actually, you know, it's kind of funny. You go online, and there's so many conspiracy theories about where they are and and the specific plots and all that stuff. And based on pictures that were posted when they were all dumped, um, people have. Kind of located it to a landfill in Logan, Utah, which is a, a very small college town in in rural northern Utah, about two hours north of Salt Lake City.
0: I can see you out there. You pull up in your Tesla. You have a shovel. <laughs> You're wearing like an Indiana Jones outfit. That's right. That's right. If you dig deep enough, I mean, they're somewhere. They right? got to be somewhere. They don't. They don't biodegrade. They don't
1: work. Yeah. 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 <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay, uh.
0: so so we got to talk about this. The reason I think this is an important computer is because it it did pave the way for Macintosh, you know, using that to oh, quote totally. byte magazine second generation Lisa technology. But yeah. it really was kind of doomed from the start. And why is that? Well, you had the the internal politics at Apple. You had a lot of Apple that said, we need to focus on the Apple II. Right. You had Steve Jobs. Uh, Basically, when he left Lisa to go over to Macintosh, pulling like the best engineers, and he had been just, like we said, hell-bent on destroying the Lisa and Apple II to make his computer the best-selling one. Then you had the high price and the limited software, and the Mac just—the Mac took all the same ingredients, but the
1: cake that came out the other end was just much better. Rest in peace, Lisa. Luckily, no one cared. It was gone. It died. See you later. (laughs) Except for, actually, there was one organization that reportedly had quite a bit of an issue with Apple abandoning the Lisa. And that was NASA, the Lisa's largest customer. Wow, the the government space agency had apparently used Lisa for Lisa Project, which was the project management software um, in that software suite, and faced significant issues moving to a new platform once the Lisa support had been continued or discontinued by Apple. So there's a fun little tidbit for you, Lisa Project. Hmm. Yeah, that's a what's a great name, and the Lisa left well a big legacy. Now you know it's it's sad because the Macintosh really gets the credit for bringing kind of the graphical user interface to the mass uh, to the masses. Yeah, and that wasn't you know novel with the Macintosh, nor was the mouse. But that was you know when people think mouse, you know graphical screen, people think Macintosh. And the sad thing is, is that yeah, sure you know Xerox Park had done that a few years previously, but but the Lisa tried to do that, and it just failed to perform well in the market. But as you mentioned, a lot of the tech was brought to the back. and so it really deserves more respect than it gets, I think.
0: So that's the uh, that's the Apple Lisa. There you go. Weird little... See you, Lisa. Weird little chapter in Apple and tech history. Mm-hmm. If you want to read more about the Lisa, we have a bunch of links compiled for you over on the website at relay.fm slash flashback slash uh, 19. While you're there... You can join and support the show directly. I should say during the month of May, when this episode comes out, uh, Relay FM is releasing annual specials, so bonus episodes for Relay FM members. Members of any show get all of these, and so uh, we did ours a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the Cortex one is up. Uh, the Connected one is up. A lot of uh, fun extra content for Relay FM members this
1: month. So, so go check that out. Before before I leave you, Stephen, I just want to share one fun little thing. And I don't know the veracity of this because Andy Hertzfeld, who's kind of been quoted uh, in, in this, has been uh, – he's made a lot of statements over the years. <laughs> but he said that, uh, you know, the Lisa – we kind of talked about how this was a backronym where it was clearly about, you know, Lisa Brennan Jobs, Steve's daughter – and they just tried to come up with words to, to make it work. Uh, Jobs even admitted as much in the Walter Isaacson novel that came out a, a few years ago. But uh, privately, Hertzfeld, who was working on, on the project and other software developers, used uh, LISA, meaning LISA Invented Stupid Acronym, L-I-S-A. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Anyways, well, Stephen, people can find me. If they want to continue to hear fascinating information <laughs> at uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash Snazzy or on social media at Snazzy Q. And where can the fine people find you, Stephen? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as ISMH. And I
0: host a bunch of shows here on Relay FM. And my, I blog over at 512pixels.net. Excellent. Cool. Well,
1: Stephen, it's been real. Yeah. I love you. See you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> See you later. What happened to the end of this show? I thought it was great.